Hello, Blackhawks fans, and welcome into the Blackhawks On Tap Post Game Show presented by the Fork Feathers Podcast and On Tap Sportsnet. I'm Johnny Nani, joined tonight by Ron Luce, recapping a heartbreaking Blackhawks loss in overtime of Game Two of the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Here, um, Ron, that one was tough to swallow. It really was, and I, I think the the worst part about it is that. You know, this this Blackhawks team really, like, the first period I was sitting here and I'm like, okay, I, like, this is ugly, you know, things are going bad, what have you. But then all of a sudden, you know, they get that momentum in the second, especially with that late goal there in the second to tie it up. And all of a sudden, we're all, I feel like we're all kind of looking around going, oh, son of a bitch, they might actually be able to win this game, you know? And, and like you said, I think you put it perfectly heartbreaking, right? Um, you know, Dylan Strom hits crossbar in the overtime period, um, which absolutely would have won the game. I mean, it was a clean hit, too. He did not miss, you know, two inches lower and that's game over. Um, and he gets his second of the of the game. But unfortunately, you know, Vegas, especially with that long change there and what was, you know, essentially is the fourth period, if you think about it in that manner. Um, so they flip flop sides again, you know, just a long, a long change. The, the Hawks D got caught out there and. I mean, a hell of a pass from Stastny in the corner to, to Smith out in front, and he just he put a perfect redirect on it to put a pass crow. Um, yeah, really, really, ter- really, really heartbreaking way. I think you you nailed it perfectly. Perfect vocab word for the night um, after this one, man. Yeah, yeah, just what you were just describing there, uh, the way it went down. I think I'm about to have night terrors uh, later uh, when I go to bed, <laughs> so that that's great. But let's start from the beginning here. Um, before this game even started, um, lineup change. Uh, Adam Boquist scratched from this one. Lucas Carlson uh, taking his place on the back end for the Blackhawks. Um, Lucas Carlson had himself a rough night, Ron, minus two. Um, just one shot on goal, one hit, but uh, only 10.33 time on ice. And, of course, uh, he was out there uh, <laughs> when uh, when things got ugly in OT, obviously, with the winner um, from Riley Smith. So, um that was interesting to me, but at the same time, you weren't getting anything from Boquist, so I understand the change from there. But at the same time, you essentially rolled 5-D tonight. Yeah, and that that's tough. I mean, especially in a playoff series. Um, I love seeing Calvin DeHaan play 25 minutes tonight. That makes my heart smile because, you know, I've been calling for him to play more minutes for forever. Um, you know, and Ole Mata registering 24. I, I mean... Him and him and Cuckoo, you know, have been such a good pairing. And uh, you know what? I I I know our, our boy Blackhawks D Zone Austin is gonna love this, but Cuckoo's really growing on me, man. Is like just that nice third pairing D man. And him and Olimana seem to have something there. And I honestly wouldn't be adverse to those guys being a, a thing for years to come. Obviously, I know Mata's a, a buyout candidate after this year. We, we'll get into that once the offseason rolls around, but. Yeah, I'd love to see those guys continue to to maybe, you know, stay together and see what they could do. But yeah, man, I, you know what? I feel bad for Connor Murphy. He, he's kind of becoming Brent Seabrook of like circa 2016, if you recall, or even yeah. like 2015. Yeah. Where, That's a good way to put it. Yeah. You know, like anytime they called up a young D-man, it was immediately Murphy's got to babysit him. And it's it's tough, you know. And I mean, Boakfist, I think, being the exception, obviously, because, you know, he he's... Uh, such a, a greater talent than most of the guys that they've brought up over the years. Um, you know, I really think the D change screwed with their chemistry. If we're being brutally honest, I think, mm-hmm. you know, Carlson just was in over his head. I don't think he was ready for this type of situation. Um, 
And, you know, it, I think just Keith and, you know, Dahan and Murphy got so good playing together that I think it just kind of screwed up all the chemistry. Yeah. And you, you, you had your you had your lone shutdown pair, so to say. And granted, you know, it's, things are different from uh, the Oilers series to now. But still, like you had said, I, I agree with the messing up the chemistry. Yeah. Boquist was not effective. And sure, you expect him to provide a little bit of offensive jump. And he, you know, has not done that at all. Um, he, he, you know, probably wasn't good. I, I don't have it up in front of me, but I would assume since he's paired with Keith and Keith was minus four uh, in game one of this series, I'm assuming Boquist uh, was not good as well. So that's an easy one as a 19 year old kid uh, to pull out of the lineup there. But uh, I'm more with you on the chemistry side of things because uh, you saw a little bit of shuffling uh, in between there too. Some guys just playing um, with different partners, at least early on in the game. Granted, they stabilize a little more towards the end, but still um, I think that, questionable decision um but once again if that works out and lucas carlson's one that pots a goal or an assist on something then uh colin looks like the hero instead of the goat so um you know the tough call there um you know it sucks not getting much from boquist before this but um again lucas carlson the not exactly the answer here actually part of the problem uh in overtime for you know as little as he played uh when he was out there it hurt um, so, mm-hmm. so that one, that one just stings in general, but, um, let's move through this game a little bit. Like you'd mentioned abysmal first period result wise from the Hawks. Um, Vegas gets to Paul Stasny at the 1044 mark, uh, Thomas Nosek, um, at the 1535 mark in this one. And I was with you, Ron, it was I think everybody had the same uh, mentality, it, just ugly. And, oh, man, they're going to get uh, – uh, Vegas is going to wipe the floor with them uh, in this one. So uh, thoughts from the first. Yeah, uh, I don't really have much else to add. I'll just echo what you said. Uh, I had that exact thought going into that first intermission. I, I kind of rolled my eyes and was like, this is just going to be ugly. Like, at least that first period in the first game, they hung around with them a little bit, mm-hmm. right? And at least made it look like a game. And this one, you know, it, it was the complete opposite. And, and Vegas was clearly the better team in that first period. So um, I share in the sediment that you did, man, going into that first intermission. I was I, I literally was like, all right, here we go again. You know, this is this is what it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, but the funny thing about that is shots were even there uh, in the first period at seven, uh, which is really surprising to me um, because mm-hmm. it just seemed like the the chances were just so much more dominating from the Vegas Golden Knights in that one. But um, for Blackhawks, uh, you know, something to take a positive out of the second period was uh, very good for them. Um, obviously, I know they allowed one goal, but this is where all of their scoring came. Uh, in this game, Kirby Doc early on 317, um, he's able to clean up a rebound on a Kelvin DeHaan shot. Dominic Kubelik scores on the power play, snipes one low uh, below Leonard's glove. Um, it was at the 1207 mark. Um, and then, uh, you know, Mark Stone got one back at the 1720 mark, and that could have been super demoralizing um, heading in to the uh, intermission, second intermission. But then uh, Patrick Kane with just one of the most unbelievable feeds I've seen ever uh, sets up Dylan Strom right on the doorstep who taps at home at the 1946 mark. So I I was feeling really good um, after the second period just because, um, you know, they they were the better team in the second period. I I think that's not up for question. Um, They they definitely were when you look at just, you know, metrics, uh, possession, scoring chance-wise, all that stuff, and obviously the goals on the board in there. Uh, scoring Vegas three to one in that second, but unfortunately, that's all we got from the Hawks tonight. 
Yeah, it is unfortunate, but a lot of good things that happened in that second period, man. Obviously, Kirby Doc hanging around the front of the net, something that he hasn't been afraid to do even as a rookie, uh, which is fantastic to see, and he's rewarded for it tonight. Obviously, love seeing our, our boy Calvin DeHaan getting an assist on that play as well. Uh, Kane also getting the secondary assist. Kind of went under the radar up until he had that sweet feed to Strom. He had three assists tonight, so Showtime yep. showed up, um, which was good to see. But, man, that Ku- between the Kubalik shot and the Patrick Kane pass in that second period, you you might have needed three pairs of underwear. You yeah. Your your two that you're you're putting in the, the laundry to wash and that third one that you put on then for that third period because, man, that Kubalik shot was perfectly placed. Put it right where, you know, Leonard with the glove wasn't just – was not going to be able to get it. It was right off the post. Uh, absolutely – perfection out of him uh he looks fantastic and i hope we see number eight skating around in the hawk sweater for a long time um but yeah i agree with you man stone's goal could have been super demoralizing but instead um that kind of makeshift strome kane to line that started to pop up in this game you know what an absolute dish from patrick Kane um all the way across ice like that and yeah i mean all dylan strome literally had to do was put a stick down on the ice until kaner hit that and just boop, tapped it right into the back of the net. Felt real good going into the third period there. Yeah, so then the third period was a completely different story, Ron. Uh, Vegas absolutely dominated this one. Um, it, it looked like the Blackhawks couldn't even muster uh, zone time, let alone um, scoring chances. They could barely even hold the fucking thing in. Um, it, it was brutal uh, when you look at all these metrics. Um, obviously, everything way in favor of Vegas. Uh, shot totals, I believe, were, um, yeah, in the third period, 16 to six, uh, you know, the Hawks basically just hanging on by a thread, uh, by the skin of their teeth, they get it to overtime. And I, I was just kind of trying to believe in the juju that, Oh yeah, they, they held out for overtime, the tinfoil hat theory, if you will, they held out for overtime so they could be back attacking that same end of the ice where they actually did shit in the second period. Um, since, you know, like you'd said that with that fourth period essentially flips down there. Um, but, uh, unfortunately, you know, Lucas Carlson gets stuck out there before that Alexander Nylander guy who maybe had two shifts in the second period gets his first one of overtime and i know during that because you don't know how long the overtime is going to roll fuck we saw a a five overtime game the other day with tampa bay and columbus you don't know so you do want to get some of those guys out there even if they're for short shifts but unfortunately vegas is such a complete team doesn't matter what line is out there against them they can make them pay and they very much did tonight um so it's just frustrating to see that um the areas that were weak uh, all night the fourth line and then whenever lucas carlson was on the ice got exposed and that's what ended up costing the hawks uh in overtime but we'd be remiss if we did not mention the strom shot uh Mm -hmm. from the half wall that hit the crossbar i know ron you talked a little bit about it in the intro but man if that thing goes in this mood is completely different right now Oh, if that goes in, you and I right now are probably shotgunning Bush lights to open this episode. I mean, that's that's the level of the excitement the Four Feathers crew would have. But yeah, I hear you, man. It's just it's it's this one really was a heartbreaker because, you know, the Hawks just showed that life tonight. And I'll tell you what, you know, I, I know we've dogged them all year and everything like that. But I mean, in a lot of ways, you know, kudos to 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 Jeremy Colleton. I mean, he's been he's been trying with what he's got. You know what I mean? He's trying to insert guys, you know, he's he's trying to move pairings around. He's trying to, you know, find that chemistry. He's not afraid to play Kirby Doc in heavy minutes in the playoffs. I think that is is honestly a very ballsy thing, especially for a young coach, you know. Are you gonna let your prize rookie go out there and get beat around? But you know, admittedly, I mean, 
Kirby Doc has looked great in this postseason so far. I mean, he hasn't looked out of place as an, you know, an, an 18, 19 year old. So, um, you know, for him to, to, to be able to do that, and he's not afraid to, you know, double shift Patrick Kane. And, you know, he's, I, I got to give him some credit, man. He's, you know, he, he put that Mata Cuckoo pairing together and they've had success. Like there's good things happening. So it's, there's, there's actually some positive that came out of this game. And it really mm-hmm. is like, it's just a game of inches, man. I mean, I can probably think back. There was a, a play that Strom should have shot instead. He back passed. He had a wide yes. open look at the first net. period. Oh my god! Yep. Yeah. Same thing with same thing with Kirby Doc. If both of them shoot, and maybe one of those goes in, or if that you know those eighteen posts that feels like that they hit tonight, if one of those <laughs> yeah, goes in, like you said, today, but yeah, right. I mean, yeah. so if, if five those, in the first game though, <laughs> right. So you know, if one of those four opportunities though, if you figure that we just talked about the two posts and the two missed opportunities, mm-hmm. one of those four goes in. It's a whole different ballgame. There's a whole different podcast, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm right there with you. A lot of good things. I mean, yeah, a 2-0 lead's really hard to bury out of, but I'm really – I'm probably getting a little ahead of myself, so I apologize, but really intrigued to see now what the Blackhawks do with the second change. Yeah, yeah, for sure, because these obviously were uh, Vegas home games for the first two, uh, and this one with it being a seven-game series, the Hawks will have the next two um, as the home game. So like Ron, you had mentioned, love the second uh, change. But yeah, just going back to a little bit about what Colleton you were talking about, um, it, it was interesting to me how some of the lines shifted. You know, Granted, that might have just been a result of Patrick Kane being double-shifted and just being out there with a different group, but um, you know, the Kane... Taves, or excuse me, Kane to Brinkett and Strom. Uh, that was one that generated the really pretty goal at the end of the second period. And you saw that just pop up at times. It wasn't consistent throughout the third period, but you saw that pop up at times. I just thought that was interesting uh, from a coaching standpoint from Jeremy Collin and just trying what he can uh, in certain situations to, uh, you know, give a little jump uh, to the team. But, uh, Ron, the biggest thing for me is uh, obviously we know how the overtime played out, and it could have gone either way with uh, Strom's chance that came before uh, the Riley Smith tap area. Uh, d- redirect goal uh, in front that eventually won it. But um, the third period is the most concerning thing to me here because, yeah, we can take away a bunch of positives from the second, but holy hell did they get absolutely manhandled uh, in the third. They look like they, they it was a beer league team playing against the, uh, you know, the Gretzky Oilers. Yeah. Yeah, that was tough. And I, I agree with you, you know, seeing that shot on goal metric at the end of the third period was really rough. I, I mean, I think with like four minutes left, it was like 13, five in favor of Vegas. So, you know, that just shows, and, and it's tough. I mean, I think too, you know, you look at that just from like a momentum standpoint, if you get that badly dominated in the third period, sure. You didn't let up a goal, but you know, the momentum's with Vegas going yep. into that overtime period. And that's, that's hard for a young team to rebound from. I mean, this is the youngest team in this playoff format, including the qualifying series, you know, in terms of average age is this Blackhawks team. I mean, really, you know, Kane and Taves are your only super experienced forwards. The rest of that forward group are are still pretty young. Uh, even Brandon Sod's what only, I think, 26 or 27. So, um, you know, and even on the back end, I mean, outside of Keith, the rest of that group is is all in their, you know, mid to early 20s. So, Um, you know, I'm just, I'm hoping that, you know, they, they take some lessons from that third period. They see the good that they did in that second period. Um, and they don't pass up on shooting opportunities now, especially, you know, for how good this defense for Vegas is at suppressing shots. So, you know, if they can, can apply those kind of lessons that they've hopefully learned from this game too, and they realize they can hang with this Vegas team for what, you know, was three and almost a half periods. 
maybe they can steal, you know, games three and four over the weekend and at least make this an intriguing series going into game five. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ryan, I think one area, though, um, obviously I just talked about a bunch of the bad with that third period, but uh, one of the good, again, uh, was special teams. And the Blackhawks won for two on their power play, and they killed off Vegas's only power play opportunity here. Um, if nothing else, I, like I said, I'm a, I, I hate silver linings. I'm not that type of guy. <laughs> I'm not looking for the, you know, um, it, the results matter. That, that's where I'm at with this. But when you're looking at results on this, we didn't get that power play goal in game one. Um, and I feel like a late one, even if it wasn't kind of garbage time in the third period of game one may have helped spark Patrick Kane a little bit later, but Patrick Kane assisting on um, every goal in this game uh, for the Blackhawks. It would have been nice to see him pot one, um, but either way, I think this is getting Patrick Kane going. You saw obviously on that uh third goal that the Blackhawks scored the unbelievable feed. So uh, you can tell he's feeling a little bit. So I think that's one positive that I can take going forward. Um, and then the discipline too to only let up one power play to uh, this Vegas team, because yeah, sure. It's not as deadly as the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, no one can, can touch that. It's one of the best in 40 years or something like that, but either way, they still have their talent. They still have Jonathan Marshall. They still have, Mark Stone, uh, mm-hmm. Max Pacioretty didn't play tonight, but you figure he'll be back in the series. Um, it, it was nice to see them kill that off. And then, like I said, uh, actually break through and, and get that tally uh, on the power play. I, I think that's big because it, as the series wears on, sure, Vegas is a disciplined team. But I do think it just as you go along and think about the quick ramp up time that it had to be to even just get to this point, there are going to be more penalties in uh, games going forward. So if there's one area that I can, you know, uh, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse since I wrote an article about it at ontapsportsnet.com earlier before this game. Um, but the, the, that's one area, though, that, that I can take a positive run. Yeah. And just I just want to quickly add on to what you said. You know, you mentioned uh, kind of in in our you know preview um, you know podcast um, you know about how brutal this this Vegas penalty kill truly is, and you saw that tonight. Hawks getting one of two is huge, and you know, like you said, if that continues to persist in yeah. this series, and you know that Hawks PK that was a top ten PK in the league going into into you know the the COVID shutdown, you know they can take it if they can take advantage of this you know bottom five penalty kill that Vegas sports like you, you know, mentioned. And then again, all credit to you on that and that great call. You know, maybe there's an opportunity for this Blackhawks team to crawl back into the series. And and then another thing too, it's like I know they only had two opportunities tonight, but um you also had a blatant tripping call uh, against Kirby Doc, I believe, that was not called. So you imagine that could have been another you know, a third power play opportunity for the Blackhawks. And we have mentioned the couple of posts that they hit. So um, I know that it, it all depends on what actually does end up going into the back of the net. Um, everybody knows that, that that's what matters in the final score. Um, but you got to think a little bit of puck luck uh, can sway back in the Blackhawks favor. Maybe um, it's not just luck. Maybe it's uh, having the uh, second change and getting the matchups they want. They, they can outrun a little bit of Vegas when they have off offensive zone time and get them to take a holding, a tripping penalty, a slashing, whatever it may be uh, going forward. So um, th- that's just one thing that I am going to keep an eye on going forward because I do think there will be more penalties uh, than there have been in games one and two going forward. Yep. I, I agree with you. And, and that's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on, right? 
Well, we have the opportunity to watch so many hockey games because of, you know, the kind of interval scheduling that they're doing right now with all these games. And you mentioned it earlier about, you know, when they were going into overtime, having to roll your lines, five overtimes for that, you know, that Columbus Tampa series. I'm excited to watch all these playoff series go because I'm sure the discipline, like you said, it just playoff hockey is a whole nother beast in itself. So if you're not ready and, and, you know, I would imagine everybody's feeling a little tired and I think you're going to see that with some of these favorites. That's why, you know, this is truly a postseason that if you're an underdog, if you can somehow muster up the energy to keep going and play 110% and balls to the walls, every shift, you might be able to steal a couple series and get your way deep into this playoffs. Yeah, for sure, Ron. So, um, like I said, that's honestly been enough about this game. Um, we've harped on the bad, like that third period. We've uh, touched on the good, like the power play and the um, second period that the Blackhawks had. So it, it's about time to move on. But before we really do a uh, stick to click and all of that, our, our formalities here, Ron, um, probably a couple burning questions here. One, um, Lucas Carlson comes out. Who replaces him? Is Boker back in that role? And then two, do you think about um, switching out Alex Nylander for someone? I Yes, I'm glad you actually brought that up because I, I was thinking about that earlier when you were um, mentioning him and I wanted to bring it up and I totally forgot to. Yes, I think you have to get somebody in there for Nylander. He is not useful. He's not doing anything good for you right now. He's playing under 10 minutes a game. That's not going to help you win in the playoffs. You can't be playing shorthanded with, you know, only 11 forwards playing when, you know, Patrick Kane's playing just as many minutes as, you know, your top defensemen are. That's just not, you can't do it. You can't have it. I like what I've seen out of Matthew Highmore. I'm glad he's getting a lot of time, you know, and you know what? I know they struggled tonight as a fourth line, but Carpenter and Camp have also been playing very well. Also, Kajula. I want to see a guy like Brandon Hagel get a look maybe in one of these series instead of Nylander. Just bring in a guy who's high energy, balls to the walls. You don't need him to necessarily be this all-time scorer. Look at Matthew Highmore. I think that's a perfect example. You know, he scored, what, two goals in that Edmonton series? Mm -hmm. Just you need guys that are energy guys. Vegas has an entire roster of those. Yes, they do. Literally their entire bottom six are those guys. They are energy players that when given the opportunity to score, they will, but their entire job is to wear down the other team, play balls to the walls and allow that top six to do what they do best and score. That is how Vegas wins games. It's time for the Hawks to take a page out of that book and get a Brandon Hagel in there or somebody else that's on your, you know, quote unquote, black aces group who's going to come in and give you energy and play balls to the walls for 60 or more minutes. Yeah. So on that, I think the other option, I think Brandon Hagel would be my top option as well. The only other option um, there would be McKenzie and whistle. But um, when, when you're looking at the type that you're replacing and what you want to get back from that spot, if Alex Nylander does end up, you know, uh, coming out of the lineup for this one, like we said, that's not a guarantee. We're just talking about adjustments that could be made for game three here. Um, but I feel like with McKenzie and whistle, you're getting more of that kind of uh, cutesy uh, scoring uh, dish assist type, whereas Brandon Hagel is another Matthew Highmore, essentially, um, yeah. in, in my book. So I would go with him as the option. If it was different and, and you're still getting, you know, say you still had like an Andrew Shaw in the lineup along with a Drake Kajula, then maybe you go with a uh, McKenzie Entwistle to try and, you know, generate a uh, couple extra chances from uh, your bottom six there. But I, I would go with Brandon Hagel as well. And then um, as for Lucas Carlson, um, I, I would probably plug Boker right back into this thing, Ron. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And and if you're not confident in, in putting Boakvist back in, 
I don't think you could put Carlson back in. I would honestly rather see Sealer get a shot because at least he's been around long enough where, you know, I feel like he's just played more meaningful hockey than Lucas Carlson has. I like what Lucas Carlson brings to the table. I think going forward in the future, he might have a nice opportunity to be oh, like yeah. a five, six defenseman. Talk about getting thrown into the fire tonight. Right? Yeah, right. Exactly. So like, you know, going forward, I still think he has a bright future. I don't think, you know, this series is going to write him off totally, but I agree with you. You know, just honestly, I mean, you know what? And I would totally be okay seeing this. If you really want Duncan Keith to play more of an offensive role, and you want to pair him with either a DeHaan or a Murphy, go ahead and play Boakfast with the other one of those two. If you really want to protect him, let Murphy or DeHaan babysit Boakfast because at least they are good enough defensively and responsible enough where he can be the offensive D-man he is right now at such a young age when he's you know still developing his defensive game. And you know you feel at least a little more confident than with your pairings because I just don't think they feel confident with that Keith Boakfast pairing. As you mentioned, minus four in game one. Ain't doing you any good, Bob. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, I just don't think, especially when you're down 2-0 in a series, I don't think it's time to take chances on it. I know Nick Sealer may, and that, that very well could be uh, an option that ends up coming in. Maybe he's there just to bang bodies. Uh, I think that would be his role uh, if he were to draw into the lineup. But I, I say you go back to Boquist because he's already played every game up until uh, now. And then I like his, his weird to say because he's such an offensive guy. You usually these guys you're not talking about being great positionally. He's better positionally than Lucas Carlson right now, just because he's been yes. uh, in the action in this last like week and a half or whatever. Um, and like I said, that's weird. But then again, I also think Boquist isn't really pressing his game, um, trying to jump up as frequently as he probably would during the regular season because it's, you know, uh, anything can be a fatal mistake if you get way too far out of position. So they kind of hinder him from what his strength is in the offensive game but at the same time he seemed to at least granted even if he wasn't making the great stick uh you know poke check or the stick lift uh he was still seemingly in the right place and quick enough to get back to it whereas both lucas carlson and connor murphy getting sucked out to you know timbuktu uh on that game winning goal uh in overtime and granted i know it was a longer shift and you know you guys get tired and uh bagged but uh then again if you're fast enough probably at least get back there and uh, challenge that shot. So I don't know uh, enough of my ranting here. This is all just speculation. We don't know. It could for what we know, it could be the very same lineup, but you would imagine that the team makes adjustments, especially when you have guys like we'd mentioned, Nylander 942 time on ice tonight. And then Lucas Carlson as a defenseman, 1033 yikes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, thrown into the fire. So you, you can't completely, you know, rip the guy's head off here. Um, but at the same time, you need, you need effective uh, minutes and you need to be able to um, have a little bit of balance and not a tremendous drop off uh, when you're going to some of those lower options in the lineup. So um, that does it. That's about it for my rant, Ryan. You got any final thoughts before we move on? Yeah, just, um, you know, just kind of an adding on to your final rant and I, I won't keep it too long, but you know, this Blackhawks team, like we've mentioned so many times before, you know, you got nothing to lose. You know, make the adjustments. You're 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 not you're not hindering something in this season by benching Nylander. You're not hindering his development if he's not. You know, this is the time when you got need you need guys that are ready now. And if that's going to be a Brandon Hagel over a Nylander, do it. If that's going to be a Boakfist over a Carlson, do it. If that's going to be a Sealer over a Carlson, do it. 
do whatever you think it takes as a head as a head coach. I'm you know I'm in I'm you know turning the keys over to Jeremy Colleton here and saying, you do what you think you need to do in order to at least have a chance at winning this game. If you're clearly not using these two players very much, replace them. Give the, another person an opportunity to come in and prove their worth because we saw it time and time again in the playoffs over the years. Brandon Saad made his first big splash in the playoffs against the Coyotes in 2011. Mm-hmm. Andrew Shaw did the same thing, and or excuse me, uh, vice versa. Um, you know, in 2012 was Brandon Saad. You know, and then Shaw was the same way in the playoffs. Like those two guys really made their first impacts for the Blackhawks in the playoffs. And, you know, you think of a Ben Smith was that way in 2011. You know, there's always been guys that you give the opportunity to let them play a game or two in the playoffs and they show you something. If that's a Brandon Hagel, who I was very high on when they were able to get him, do it. Why not? What the hell do you have to lose? You weren't supposed to be here anyway. You're down to nothing. Make the adjustment and see what happens. Yeah, and I think you just guys that can buzz, uh, and that's what I think of uh, just from watching uh, Brandon Hagel's highlights from Rockford and um, just kind of the scouting report on him. It's, uh, you know, Mackenzie Entwistle, the alternative that I had mentioned. Uh, it's more if you're going for skill, and he's still got a little bit to go before he's NHL ready. That's why he was never brought up. That's why it was always Dylan Sakura. That's why Brandon Hagel was the one rumored when Brandon Saad and Dylan Strome were injured and all of that. Um, there's a reason that those guys uh, push their names a little bit further to the top uh, than a guy like Mackenzie Entwistle. So I would be in favor. If it was me, if I'm Jeremy Collin, I'm going Brandon Hagel in for Nylander and Boquist back in uh, for Lucas Carlson. Uh, I know there's probably an argument to be made for Sealer, but at the same time, I could also see that being another um, t- 10 to 12 minute time on ice guy. Uh, and then you end up just in the same spot that you were uh, maybe with a couple extra hits in there. So um, th- that's about it though. That's my final rants um, from this one. Uh, you know, a little bit, a little slice of good like we had uh, from game one. And we were talking about feeling it out and chances that they generated on the power play. And then this one actually finally converting on the power play. It's a sliver of good. This whole second period, I think that's a sliver of good, but then you got a whole heaping spoonful of bad in the third period. And obviously overtime doesn't play out um, uh, how you would like, and you get a tough couple of breaks, but um, that's hockey. If puck luck, uh, if there's hockey gods up there, I would imagine some puck luck comes back in the Blackhawks favor in game three. And um, like you said, we got the last change, too. So um, uh, those are my final thoughts here for this one. Ron, let's get a stick to click before we sign off. Yeah, man, I you know what? I, I went with Kirby Doc tonight for today's game. I was very pleased with my selection. I think he had a great game, obviously scored a goal. Um, you know, I. I don't know, man. This is tough. This is a hard one because I I feel like it's all the usual players. But um, a a guy that, you know, I was once again impressed with tonight. And, you know, um, see, I'm like I'm like foundering between three or four players. You know what? Here's what I'm going to I'm going to will some good mojo into the world here. I'm going to I'm going to speak something into existence. Brandon Saad had a pretty tough game today. He didn't look like himself. And. If, if, if he's the Brandon Saad, that's my favorite player in the NHL. Yeah. I think Brandon Saad rebounds and has a great game in game three. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and take B Saad for my stick to click because he, I'm just speaking in existence. He needs to, he needs to have a good game. If this whole team's going to succeed. Yeah. Uh, Ron, I think you need to do that. Uh, since he is your guy, you need to be the one that picks him. I picked him today and obviously fumbled a couple of chances. Um, uh, it, it, early on in this game, um, 
it just did not look like himself. Uh, there are a couple other ones where he got boxed out in a situation where he usually uses his big ass to, you know, screen guys out and uh, protect the puck. <laughs> but uh, it just did not look like a uh, regular Brandon Saad today. So I hope you are right. You're speaking that in new existence. He has a big game. Um, I'd like to see multi-point performance from him um, in game three. But for me, I'm going to the back end here. And this may be a little bit off, uh, off because, um, you know, the, you look at the top guys and all the ones over 20 here are Keith Murphy, Mata, Dahan. Um, but another guy is sneaky and he kind of creeps down and you don't notice him until the pucks in the back of the net is Slater Cuckoo, number 68 on the back oh. end. Um, that, that guy is sneaky. He only played 1757. I shouldn't say only. That was, you know, uh, I guess second lowest of all defensemen. But man, does that guy have a knack for just uh, really kind of being. Um, that's what I'm looking for. The surprise uh, that, that you weren't expecting because I feel like uh, he's just overlooked um, and he's got for as tall as he is, he's got good enough speed to go and sneak in there. I remember there was a chance where he was laying down right in front of Robin Leonard and whacking his stick at the goal. And Hey, you know what? You pop one of those up and it gets over his pad. That's in the back of the net. Um, and we saw him score uh, in, in the Edmonton series. You saw him dish a couple of assists as well. So uh, I, I'm going with Slater Cuckoo. Uh, you're going to need to activate the back end. If you're going to score against this Vegas team, obviously, um, so uh, I'll go with that, and I think at least an assist for number 68 uh, in our next game, which will be on Saturday night here. So um, that about wraps it up for this edition of the Blackhawks on Tap postgame show. Once again, it's brought to you by the Four Feathers podcast and on Tap Sportsnet. Make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at Four Feathers Pod and at On Tap Sportsnet. If you enjoy this podcast, please give us a five star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We would really appreciate it. So, Ron, all that being said, um, tough couple of games here, but time to um, just regroup, get ready for Saturday night. We got some back-to-back, so, hey, you get hot in that Saturday game, it may translate over into Sunday, and boom, you're right back at an even series. So um, that's what I'm looking forward to, uh, trying to take some positives here at the end. Let's close this thing down. Only way we know how. Let's go Hawks. Let's go Hawks, baby. Hawks.